Welcome to the Magnum Rewatch Podcast. My name is Graham. I'm Kathleen. We are from LoadingReadyRun.com. Insulation installers. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's a new line of work for us. I thought we were going to be junk haulers this week. Why? Because of the all the junk? All the junk in your trunk. Oh. Booty, 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 booty. All right, fine. We're actually online comedians, as you can tell from this incredibly funny intro. Oh, yeah. Such banter this week. I thought you were going to do something about, like, you know, setting up a vapor barrier between... I, have, I know nothing about insulation, Graham. <laughs> Make sure not to breathe the comedy directly. See, you are literally teaching me more about insulation than I have ever known or cared to learn before. Oh, pro tip. You don't want to have fiberglass inside you. I don't actually think I needed you to tell me that. Well, there you go. You see? The insulation was inside you all along. Oh, no, that's bad. You just said it was bad. I know. Maybe we should get to the podcast. Probably should. We're here to talk about Magnum P.I., the TV series, well, I, and the character, but he's in the TV series. He's part of a greater whole that we're going to plug up with insulation. I don't know. Anyway, this week's episode is Wave Goodbye. And Wave is a double entendre. Yeah, I guess. Well, because it's about a lady who surfs and also then she goes bye-bye. Wave, wave, surfs, waves, waves, waves with your hand. I'm very smart. We open on a lady surfing. She actually, she doesn't look super confident on that board, the actress. Yeah, but the actress can surf and that's not nothing. That's true. I, w- I wonder what else she did, like the, the actual actress, Diane Crowley, because she didn't do a lot of other acting. According to IMDb, her only other acting credits are a second episode of Magnum and a TV movie called The Paradise Connection. Huh, what was the other episode of Magnum she was in? It was actually Jade Digger Doyle. I don't remember her. She played, you remember the scene where magnum needs tc's help and so he pretends that tc is a terrible helicopter pilot who's just made him ill to scare off potential clients all right and then the trophy wife and her husband show up yeah she's the trophy wife she's mrs blasdell oh like really attractive young woman who gets out of the car and is starts helping out like the geriatric guy and magnum's like oh god i got so sick oh and then she bundles the old guy back into the car and they drive away Oh, okay. So a small role then. Yeah, but this is it. These are her her only three acting credits. Wow, I wonder what she did. No idea. And the internet doesn't seem to know either. Well, I hope wherever she is, she is happy. Me too. Because she doesn't end up happy in this episode. In fact, she ends up dead very quickly. Yeah. But uh, first, she gets off the... Well, she gets out of the water and walks to a young blonde boy. He looks like Hope from Final Fantasy XIII. Yeah, it's weird. He's um, tending to his surfboard. She asks him if she can borrow his towel, and And then she towels off. Later, that kid would go home to spank it for the very first time. And then leaves him to the beach. But but she sees Magnum. Yeah, Magnum jogs past because he's a jogger, among other things. Oh, sorry, a runner. Don't forget this new fad of running. That's true. They sort of exchange pleasantries and that they'll see each other at the surfing competition. And I'm like, Magnum doesn't surf. He surfs skis. That's not the same thing. It's, well, no, but... Surfing's a big deal in Hawaii. There's a whole nightclub for it. It's called the Surf Rider. And that's where we see her next. Oh, nice transition. Boom. Exactly. That's where the next scene is. Thank you. So she's at the Surf Rider Club. She's just hanging out, just enjoying her evening. Waves at a guy at the bar. He comes over. He's like, oh, can I sit down here with my beard that does not suit the rest of me? No. I mean, normally I am very pro-beard, but this gentleman's beard is not a good beard. I don't know why. It looks like a cross between Obi-Wan Kenobi's beard and a, like a, a Furby. It's just so bad. It's too thick. 
It's weirdly thick. And like it sticks out from his face too far. I guess this was the 80s. This is supposed to show that he's like a bad guy, I guess, because, you know, beards like a playboy or something like that. But just no. Yeah. But Casey seems to like it. Her name's Casey, by the way. And so they chat for a bit, have a good time. Then we see them walking down the beach, making out a little bit. We see them being watched by a creepy guy in the bushes. He appears to be a hobo. Wearing a bandana. And then we cut to Robin Masters. Well, the actual Robin Masters or just the estate? No, the estate. Sorry. We cut to Robin's nest. That's right. And uh, Magnum is relaxing uh, under the sun. He's just having a tan and waxing poetic. About being unemployed. About being unemployed. In, in the narration. He's just sort of like, man, you know, being unemployed ain't so bad when you're in Hawaii. It's, you get to chill. Yeah. It's... Everything's so happy, and I'm in such a great mood. And then Higgins comes over and says, Magnum, I have a favor to ask you. And Magnum's like, no, hang on, hang on, Higgins, hang on. Why is it always back and forth with you and me? Why do we have to be always doing deals, and I'll do this for this, and if you do this for this other thing? Why can't we just, you know, help each other out as friends? Because we like each other. How about that? And Higgins says, that's extraordinarily decent of you. I would like that very much. I was going to come out and ask you to go and pick up a bunch of paperwork from the King Kamehameha Club in exchange for one week's use of the tennis courts, but now I will just ask you as a personal favor. This is a continuation from the greater friendship intimacy that was built up last week with Magnum really trying to protect Higgins, even when Higgins said no. And so Magnum, after all this, says, oh, two weeks, and then goes back to sunbathing. (laughs) What a jerk. I know. Higgins looks very upset about this. I mean, yeah, I would be too. But this is also the only scene he's in, so... Eh. Yeah, we don't see Higgins again at all this episode. Well, he got plenty of screen time last week. It's a week off for Jonathan Hillerman. Yeah. Now we go to the King Kamehameha Club. Magnum's there with Rick and sort of joking around a little bit with him, uh, pressing him about why his breakfast isn't ready or something like that. Because Rick is Magnum's assistant. I am joking. And uh, Rick's not in a great mood. He's kind of bummed. And Magnum's like, well, what's wrong? And Rick says, it's Casey. Because everyone knows Casey, obviously. This is like when the, we met the old couple and never again, never again. We're just supposed to be like, oh, yes, this person who we care deeply about that has never been introduced before. Yes. I will say that I mentioned this while we were watching it. I liked that. This is such a weird thing to say. Diane Crowley is very attractive. And they do a great job of demonstrating that by framing her very nicely and styling her well so that you just look at her and you know that she's attractive you don't have to have the actors state it this episode does not borrow from the lisa in her red dress school of telling you people are attractive yeah magnum upon hearing that casey has had some sort of accident rushes away and we now cut to down the beach near the surf rider club Uh, this is presumably quite some distance from the king kamehameha club because i don't know why they would these things would be anywhere near the same region of the islands the surf rider club is it's a very ramshackle-looking building. It does not look like a, a fine establishment, shall we say. It looks like the kind of place where surf bums would hang out. Yeah. That seems appropriate. Yeah. A, news travels fast, and B, Magnum got there in a real hurry because they are still bagging and removing the body. I feel like that's maybe a little bit of a TV thing. Yeah, probably. Uh, probably. But Magnum gets up there and he's like, what happened? And the police are surprisingly helpful. I feel like they would not be this helpful in real life. Sergeant Jordan is not super helpful. He's just sort of like, oh, private investigator. Great. Going to tell me how to do my job? He's the old grizzled policeman with a mustache. That's all you need to know. And he leaves and Officer Kelly is like, it has been a long shift in his defense. And then he leaves. And Magnum's like, I want to 
figure out what happened. Yeah, Magnum also, is sad. in the background of the onlookers watching them remove the body is that hobo that we saw who now is also drinking. See, now at this point, I was like, it can't be this guy because we've already seen him twice, which is way too obvious for Magnum. Maybe him appearing in the background here is like whatever, but it cut to a shot of him watching them making out on the beach, right? Exactly. So. I feel like that's meant to fool less experienced television watchers. So Magnum, being a private investigator, he knows what he has to do, and that is narrate. He talks about the cliche of getting information out of bartenders, well, specifically a cliche for his line of work, of getting information out of bartenders by giving them increasingly large notes with less recognizable presidents. And he says, you know, sometimes I don't go in for cliches and cut to him just like roughing up the bartender. He's not trying to bribe this guy. He's just like assaulting this dude who's the, uh, his name is Ralph. He's the bartender of the Surfrider Club. And he is played by a local Hawaiian comedian by the name of James Grant Benton, whose most recent acting credit was a character in Blue Crush. Was he also a bartender? I don't know. I haven't seen Blue Crush. I don't expect you to have seen Blue Crush. No, but he is in seven episodes of Magnum as totally different different characters every single time. No, wait, he's got one character that that recurs twice. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Eventually, Ralph decides that it is to his best interest to help this mustachioed puncher. And Well, I mean, if you help him, the punching stops. It's true. And he says, look, 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 it's, it's okay. You, all, you know Casey. We all knew Casey. She liked to go home with a different dude every night. Whatever. This guy. His That's name, right. Whatever. Yeah. No, nothing wrong with that. Exactly. Do what you want. Exactly. This guy, his name was Gary. He says, and I quote, he's into grass and cocaine. Nothing too heavy. I object to that statement. <laughs> cocaine? A light record? No, cocaine. Don't do cocaine, folks. Like that, no. That seems like a really bad idea. Like I, there is an argument be, to be made for like marijuana being like a lighter drug, but cocaine? I mean, it was the 80s, but please. Does this count as it's another time? No. Well, maybe, yeah. I, I feel like society's attitudes towards cocaine use are slightly different nowadays. Like, well, if I heard that some teenager I knew had been had smoked some pot, I'd be like, okay, you're a teenager. If I heard a teenager I knew was doing cocaine, I'd be like, we need to, to have a serious discussion about you. Are you okay? Yeah. So Magnum gets that information out of Ralph. The guy's name is Gary. He doesn't really know where to find him. Magnum goes back outside and then narrates again. Another common trope in his business when you're dealing with bartenders is that as soon as you're out of the door, they'll get on the phone calling the guy that you're looking for and warn him that you're looking for him. Now, we have seen this happen in an earlier episode of Magnum Yeah, when he was looking for uh, the guy's sister. So Magnum gets to the Ferrari, thinks to himself for a moment, then turns around and goes back inside in time to catch Ralph dialing the phone. Suddenly, Ralph is even more cooperative. Yeah, weird, hey? Because everything that he told Magnum the first time, he'd also told the cops. Everything he told Magnum the second time was new bonus information. So then we go to Gary's place, who lives in a weird beach fort. It's like a beach shack on stilts. It's like one of the lifeguard stands from Baywatch, but larger. Yeah, like, and it has like, like... that you could live in. It has like a van seat brought in. Yeah, it's like two stories off the ground. It's one level that would be the third floor of a normal building and then yeah like a kitchen and a bedroom and windows on all sides it looks nice actually i mean, I mean it looks it, kind of like run down a it little has bit, a distinctive but... air of squatter yeah, i guess graham there's car interiors as furniture well you'd think the park ranger would have kicked him out by now it was a different time mm-hmm. anyway magnum goes inside and who does he find inside but 
Sergeant Jordan and Officer Kelly and like four other cops. I guess they're maybe not as bad at their jobs as Magnum thinks they are. Yeah. So they're about to start giving Magnum the the gears for obstruction of justice and all that when Gary himself actually arrives home and they all go, oh, quick, hide, down, down. But Gary is a little suspicious about this Ferrari parked outside his hovel. And so he pulls a gun out and very suspiciously walks inside. But then again, there's like six cops in there and they all have guns. So Gary comes with them quietly. The police system at work. Back at the King Kamehameha Club, Rick, who apparently just knows literally everything that happens in the world of the police, like Rick is like Oracle from the DC universe, like Barbara Gordon after the the accident when she's when she's Oracle. Uh. He, he just knows everything that's going on with the cops, and he tells Bat Magnum that Gary's been released. I feel like Rick has a fine finger on the pulse of the underworld. The King Kamehameha Club is legit. He used to run a place called the Snow Palace, Graham. I know. That comes up in this episode for the first time since the last time. Well, since they mentioned that Rick's bar went out of business. Yeah. Maybe due to drug-related problems. <laughs> the Snow Palace? R- r- no. So that's the problem. You can't give your bar that specializes in drugs a two-on-the-nose name. It's not a good idea. So Magnum, full of vim and vigor and bluster and anger, goes back down to the police station and is like, why Why you do this? Why you release this guy? What the hell? And Sergeant Jordan is having none of it. You know, basically, stay out of my business, private eye, grumble, grumble. Officer Kelly is more sympathetic and is like, look, maybe we can set something up here. Maybe we can make this work. But, you know, you gotta. it's got to be a two-way street, right? We'll help each other out. Magnum says, okay. So now Magnum has to get Rick and TC to help him fake a drug buy. Right, because he wants to track down Gary. And Rick and TC are like, oh, this is such a bad idea. I guess so to explain. They actually have nothing on Gary for Casey's murder. But they do have him for some narcotics charges for which he was able to post bail. And he's basically disappeared now. So they want to set up a drug buy so they can find him. I mean, in theory, that seems like a fine plan, but an execution, that seems really stupid. That's sort of Rick and TC's take on it. I feel like that is the correct take on it. TC is not usually up for Magnum's stupid schemes, but gets roped in this episode. Rick mentions the boxes of paperwork that Magnum was supposed to take to Higgins. Yeah, some paperwork actually has now turned into multiple boxes, something like 24 boxes of files. Because, this is so dumb, Higgins wants to run all the guest registries through Robin Master's computer system and compare people who are members in good standing to people who are, I don't know, the 99%, I guess. Magnum says, I can't fit that many boxes in the Ferrari. I can take, like, maybe two. TC says, well, you could borrow the island hoppers van but i was thinking that a drug dealer wouldn't drive a van around they'd probably drive something like a ferrari i mean tc is not lying so they switch cars and the next scene we see rick and tc and no magnum driving the ferrari rick is driving and they pull up at the Surfrider club and what is playing in the background but some sick disco oh so much good disco in this episode i mean it's all concentrated here it's the rick and tc deal drugs theme i guess so with this sick disco soundtrack playing they go and talk to the bartender i wanted to mention actually because i noticed a new piece of trivia that i thought you might find interesting about this guy i mentioned that he was a local comedian he's one of the founding members of the famous hawaiian comedy troupe booga booga he popularized a lot of ethnic hawaiian humor and pidgin sorry what p-i-d-g-i-n hawaiian pidgin english 
he actually starred and co-directed a version of Twelfth Night in Pidgin, and for doing so, he made it into the Library of Congress as the first person to translate Shakespeare into a Creole language. Oh, good for him. Yeah, thought that was neat. If you're curious, Hawaiian Pidgin English, or Hawaiian Creole English, or HCE, or known locally as Pidgin, is a Creole language accent and dialect based partly in English, spoken by many residents of Hawaii. This is me reading the first line of the Wikipedia entry. It is a full-fledged, nativized, and demographically stable natural language evolving from various real Pidgins spoken between ethnic groups in Hawaii. The version of Twelfth Night, by the way, is called Twelfth Night O Whatever. Twelfth spelled T-W-E-L-F. In the scene, of course, Ralph the bartender is speaking not Pidgin English and is suspicious of Rick because Rick's like, hey man, you know, we can score some stuff. Are you looking for this uh, guy, Gary? Figure you could hook me up. They're not exactly subtle, are they? No, but Rick has street cred. Tell him Rick, who used to run the Snow Palace, wants to buy. I love that this is a thing because the thing is changing Rick's occupation from being like a sleazy nightclub owner to a manager at a country club that has its own connections to Robin Masters was obviously like a production call that they were just like, no, no, we want to do it this way. This is so much more elegant. Yeah, we just, let's let's do it this way. I think this will be better for the series and everything like that. Well, it gives Magnum a place to hang out that's not Robin's Nest and also not a sleazy nightclub. But that they kept it in canon. Did they use it as like a thing that Rick used to run a CD dive bar? What happens in canon stays in canon. Even though it's only the first episode. I think it's neat. Anyway, Ralph buys it and sets up a call. And they meet Gary at the Halewa Theater, built in 1931. Very art deco. I mean, it looks like it's under renovations at the time, so it doesn't look super art deco. Well, it was torn down in 1983, actually. Oh. To make way for a McDonald's. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow, that's really depressing. It's the first fast food joint on the North Shore. I don't care. I didn't say you had to. Uh, That's the fun thing about facts is they don't care what you think of them. Gary's there. He holds them up at gunpoint so that he can confirm that they're who they say they are. But before that can happen, Magnum holds him up at gunpoint and tells the other two to leave and starts questioning Gary. Gary maintains that he did not kill Casey and Magnum says, okay, well, sell me on that. Baxter doesn't believe him. But... He does eventually suggest that there might have been someone else. This homeless guy who lives near the beach. Yeah, his name is Nick. Yeah. He lives in like the banana grove or something. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's real crazy. Yeah. So it was probably him. Yeah. So Magnum decides, all right, I'll check out this Nick character because I'm basically out of leads at this point. And we get to see a beautiful tracking shot of Magnum walking through the forest uh, sort of to get to Nick's camp. This is actually a shot that shows up in the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Magnum's walking through there and he's like, this reminds me of someplace. And then discovers like an alarm wire. It's like a, a wire that's been rigged across the ground and sort of hidden from view. And it's got like bells and tin cans on it. So he's really getting a numb feeling from the whole sitch. And in fact, it turns out Nick is as advertised as kind of a crazy homeless guy, former NOM veteran. Yeah, who's not taking it as well as Magnum and his friends. He initially seems to think he's there still. Magnum asks him how long he's been here, meaning the banana grove. And he responds, well, I shipped out in 68 and I've been here since. And Magnum says, no, you're in, you're in Hawaii now. You're not, you're not there. And it sort of takes Nick a little while to clarify that notion in his own head nick is uh, clearly a few screws loose of a pineapple yeah and uh, magnum suggests that you know that the veterans affairs hospital can really help you out with that because it did for him 
And Nick's like, nope. Nick, by the way, who is armed. I don't know if we mentioned that. that he oh, has yeah, a, he has a he, rifle. He has an assault rifle. Oh, oh, you got to love those American gun laws. Yeah, and he uh, he says, if you try to take me away from here, then I'll use it. It's a fractured conversation because Nick is, again, not totally there. Yeah, Magnum was going to ask him facts about Casey, and he does not get anything out of that. He's just trying to figure out what is up with Nick the whole time. And Nick is, you know, sort of seems to be coming around and is like, oh, yeah, I'd love to get some help, but no. And then he's like, no, I think you should go now. Magnum's like, you know what? I think I will respect your wishes, man with some mental instability issues holding an assault rifle. But who Magnum does not believe actually killed her. I don't know exactly what he's basing this on. Obviously, there's still suspicion there, but Magnum isn't convinced. He actually figures that Nick is unwell, certainly, but by and large, not actually threatening, despite the gun. It's more of a self-defense gun. Also, Casey did not die from extreme bullet prejudice. Magnum walks back to the surf rider, which is where he's parked, and that's also where the cops are parked, because Sergeant Jordan is inside talking to people, and Officer Kelly is outside. So Magnum talks to Officer Kelly for a bit. And Magnum won't tell Kelly Nick's full name or where to find him because he wants to, you know, give him 24 hours, maybe go back and talk to him again. And Kelly is a little annoyed. He's like, hey, man, two-way street, right? You got to actually help me out on this as well. And then Sergeant Jordan comes outside and and Kelly's not thrilled about being seen talking to Magnum. Well, I mean, Magnum is like poking his nose into this. He really is. And, And Jordan's getting pretty annoyed with Magnum. And as I would. Yeah. <laughs> to I be mean, fair. You are the police and you're trying to conduct an investigation and there's a private eye sort of like go- going around and doing all the same things, but not authorized and screwing things up and giving the criminals a heads up. So Magnum goes back to the King K Club to have a think and gets a phone call almost immediately from someone who wants to set up a secret meeting. Okay. So last episode, when Magnum got a phone call about a secret meeting, it was a trap. Yes. And in fact, TC is like, when they go out in the helicopter, because this requires a helicopter ride, TC is like, this is a trap. Why does Magnum keep falling into this trap? Well, the thing is, last episode and this episode, Magnum has the same response to that, which is, it probably is a trap, but what else do I do? It's the only lead I have. I mean, I guess that's fair. I didn't say it was a good response, but that's the one he keeps giving. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me... At this point in Magnum, multiple times, come on, I thought you were a smart man. He's going to meet some drug runners on Maui in a clearing in the jungle. Oh, that sounds safe. Which they eventually find after some pretty cool helicopter flying. TC sets the chopper down. Magnum tells him to keep the engine running. Because on the other side of this field is like seven dudes just sort of leaning... Menacingly. Menacingly around a pickup truck. Magnum ambles over to see them and goes to say hi and they start shooting at him they just start opening effing fire on him but they are bad shots if they waited till he was closer but one guy got way too eager and was just sort of like oh i can hit him from here and started pulling out his revolver or whatever and opening fire and magnum immediately turned around and booked it back to the chopper and they took off and the chopper did not get out unscathed i think there was at least three bullet holes in the chopper yeah in the plexiglass though so like not in the kind of they didn't shoot the part of the chopper that would impede chopper operations yeah yeah. And the scene where we see this with TC inspecting the chopper is an example of Rick and TC being incredibly practical, RE giving up. Yes. I feel like at this point, any reasonable person is like, wow, okay, I have no plausible leads and I've been shot at by drug dealers for some reason. Maybe this is a job for the police. They're very pragmatic in that they say Casey's dead 
and that sucks and we think it sucks too we're upset about it but you don't have any leads and you almost died so maybe let's not do any more of this and then magnum's like no you know what Casey may have liked to party and may have liked to go home with a different guy every night, which I will reinforce there's nothing wrong with that. But she was happy and she loved life and nobody should take that away from her. So, nah, says Magnum. I'm going to keep digging into this. So he marches right back down to PD because at very least he can tell them about a clearing where they can find a bunch of drug dealers and that's really the best he can do. But before he even gets to do that, Sergeant Jordan and Officer Kelly tell him that Nick, the Vietnam vet from the Banana Grove, walked in and confessed. I didn't think he was guilty at all. Neither does Magnum, who is now swimming. We cut to Magnum swimming and thinking. He's having a real good think swim. Yeah, as uh, Rick and TC note, he's been out there for an hour and a half. Oh, so tired. That's a long time to do anything. I don't even like to sit for an hour and a half. I don't mind it. I don't mind a good hour and a half long sit. Two hours, three hours maybe. I guess I'm asleep at that point. Well, I mean, that then you're doing something different. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even say sleeping for an hour and a half at a time. I get up, I toss and turn. That's different. I might have something to do with the fact that there's usually a cat on my head. Yeah. Meowing at you. <laughs> Wanting attention. Magnum not only doesn't feel that Nick is responsible, but he himself feels responsible for Nick. Because, as he says, whatever demons possessed Nick to confess to this crime are Magnum's demons as well. Rick and TC, for their part, are waiting for Magnum to get out of the water so that because they assume he will have worked this out of his system. But he gets out of the water and then immediately starts talking about the case again. And they're like, well, all right, well, I guess that didn't work. So he goes back to the police because he wants to talk to Nick. Just wants five minutes with him. And I feel like at this point, Sergeant Jordan has like had enough of Magnum. Like, come on. Like, you have contributed nothing to this thing. You All you do is harass us. You get in the way. You obstructed my investigation at least twice now. Please go away and never come back. In fact, he tries to physically shove Magnum outside. He shoves first, clearly. And Officer Kelly tries to talk him down a little bit and then pull Magnum out of the room so that Sergeant Jordan doesn't freak out about it. After Magnum being very belligerent, actually, Officer Kelly decides, okay, fine, he will help Magnum. I'll get you two to five minutes. You can go talk to him, but that's it. And if you come back, I'm going to get in trouble. And like, this has got to be the last favor I do for you. But it's a pretty big favor. Can I talk briefly about the actors who play Sergeant Jordan and Officer Kelly? I would love to hear about it. Officer Kelly is played by W.K. Stratton, who we have seen before in Magnum P.I. Officer Kelly? Uh, No, the actor, W.K. Stratton. Okay. In the pilot, Don't Eat the Snow in Hawaii, parts one and two. Oh. He plays Ensign Healy. Oh! The young blonde naval guy. And as I assume I mentioned at the time, he most recently had a voice in uh, Transformers the video game and uh, had a recurring role on JAG. Which is a Donald P. Belisario show. Yeah. And also, if you're doing a Jeremy Clarkson impersonation, it should be read as JAG. JAG. And of course, Quantum Leap and a detective series called Tequila and Bonetti. Right. I think I made fun of that the first time we talked about it, so I will refrain from making fun of it again. Fair enough. Anyhow, a long and industrious career still going. Yes. That's W.K. Stratton. Yes. And Sergeant Jordan is played by the now late Vic Morrow. Uh, This was actually one of the last roles he played before his untimely death on the set of the Twilight Zone movie. You don't mean the, the death where they had the helicopter? Yeah, this was the famous um, Twilight Zone movie Scandal, actually. A scene with him and two child actors who were on set, not illegally, but shouldn't have been 
working. There was California labor laws about when child actors, when they were allowed to work in proximity to explosions and things like that. And um, there was a miscommunication between the helicopter pilot and pyrotechnics, and the pyrotechnics were set off and uh, messed up the helicopter flying. It's not good. It's uh, it's a very tragic story. Um, all three of them mercifully died instantly. So there was there was a lot of fallout of this at the time. While I'm talking about actors, Nick, who we're about to see have a conversation with Magnum, is played by Wings Hauser. His name is actually Wings. Wings Hauser. I feel like mistakes were made there. I mean, he was born Gerald Dwight Hauser. Okay, so okay, so this is his own mistake. Yeah, but you know. He's still working. He was just on an episode of Hawaii Five-0, the new Hawaii Five-0. Wow. He's also, like many of the actors that we deal with, actually, he's been on, I think, every CSI. Well, except CSI Cyber, but that doesn't count. Well, I mean, that's still new, isn't it? Yeah. And he, he could still be on CSI Cybers. I'm saying he's got time. Yeah. And uh, many of the same shows of the day that we've already heard from all the side actors, Airwolf, The A-Team, Murder, She Wrote, uh, and also a bunch of movies through the late 80s and early 90s just as a quintessential sort of that guy Mm. he also appeared in six episodes of beverly hills 90210 as a character named jj jones that's still more of a plausible name than wings (laughs) hauser that's initial j middle name jay jones jj jones that character's parents hated him even though they are fictional there is much hate there that's like you naming your kid starky stark <laughs> I, got, I got called starky enough you don't need to name the kid starky stark <laughs> that sounds miserable and gary him of the beard was, gary was played by uh, john calvin who hasn't had much work since the 90s is he known for his calvins Come on, I haven't had a chance to make a lot of jokes this episode. I gotta take those opportunities where they come. He was in an episode of Tequila and Bonetti. Oh my god, what is it with that show? I'm glad this is not the Tequila and Bonetti. Actually, if this was the Tequila and Bonetti rewatch podcast, it would be much faster. We'd be done by now. I could be on a different show. He played Reverend Willie Tenboom in Tales of the Golden Monkey. What a stupid name. Tenboom? (laughs) Reverend Willie Tenboom. And uh, yeah, he had a considerably... Smaller beard? (laughs) Considerably smaller career than some of the other actors, but I guess more than Diane Crowley, so, you know. Maybe the beard was the source of his power. Maybe after he shaved it off, it was all downhill from there. Who knows? Maybe the beard was a separate sentient being that was controlling him. Oh. Is his IMDb trivia known for his incredible beard? Uh, Is his thick, luxurious face coat? No, but he was in Critters 3. With a beard? With Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio was in Critters 3? It's his debut. Oh. It's on the DVD cover on IMDb. It's Wait, starring... his beard? No, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> starring Leonardo DiCaprio in his film debut. He plays a character called Josh. John Calvin plays the lead role, actually, in Critters 3. Does he have a beard? I don't know. It's the only thing that matters. Yes, he does. Okay, good. All is right with the world. It's the same beard. Just older? Yes. Well, that's good. Like, yeah, the, so that lends credence to my theory. Goodbye beard, goodbye career. The beard was the breadwinner there. Graham, don't ever shave off your beard just in case. I don't want you to be unemployed. (sighs) Magnum gets his time alone to talk to Nick. Oh, right, yeah, that. Nick is still kind of crazy and is like, I killed her while I confessed to killing her. That's basically the same thing. Maybe I'll get some help. I don't know why he's had such a change of heart. I mean, aside from the fact that he is 
desperately needs some help and probably some therapy and medication. He's not a man who's thinking straight. No. By the way, it's a good performance by Wingshauser, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Just want to put that out there. Magnum does eventually manage to get out of him. He was watching Casey make out with Beard Guy. Beard Guy left. Other man showed up and killed Casey. And the other man had a uniform, uh, an army uniform. Yeah. You know, because he recognizes what the army uniforms look like. I see. But it wasn't an army uniform. Because it's not actually Vietnam. So what the heck was it? Well, we're about to find out. But not before a weird continuity thing. I don't know if you noticed this. It's just, it's a, it's very small. But at the end of the scene, Magnum looks at the officer letting him out of the cell and then turns around and looks at Nick. And then it cuts in this shot of Nick, like this like close up of him, like smiling, but clearly standing in a different part of the cell than he's standing in the wide shot. I did not notice that, no. Like I said, it's not a big deal, but it's sort of like... It was a little jarring to you? It's the stuff that grinds my gears. Before we actually progress with the episode, I need to give people a spoiler warning. This is going to sound weird, but have you played Persona 4? If you haven't... I mean, the game came out in 2008, so we're starting to get into sort of ludicrous spoiler territory of come on but uh, like my friend heather is currently playing through this game for the first time so I, there are people who haven't played it who would probably enjoy playing it and if you haven't played it we are going to get into some major persona 4 spoilers that will ruin the game for you so i heartily recommend that if you ever want to play this game you just skip probably to the most of the end of the podcast so i'm sorry about that but you got most of it and that was nice Okay, I totally called this, like, third to halfway through the episode, because I was like, this guy is too helpful. I am getting an Adachi vibe off him. And, I mean, I guess I should ask, for clarity, what do you mean by an Adachi vibe? Okay, so Adachi is the helpful uh, junior detective who works with uh, Dojima uh, in Persona 4, who slips the investigation team little tidbits of information when their investigation starts to lose focus and lets them know facts that they probably shouldn't know and okay spoiler it turns out that Adachi does this not because he is helpful but because in Persona 4 Adachi is actually the bad guy he's the guy who threw everybody into the TV and he's the guy who killed everybody he's doing that because he thinks it's fun he's so bored in Inaba like this is just his way of passing the time is just stringing you guys along so that's what I mean by Adachi vibe like there's no reason for you to give me this information. Clearly, there's some sort of ulterior motive at work here. So Magnum gets Officer Kelly to meet him at the Surfrider. Well, because Magnum figures that Nick didn't see a military uniform because there's no there's navy around Hawaii, but there's shouldn't there shouldn't be any like army there. So what uniform could it be? Maybe a policeman because Nick's not maybe the most reliable source in that regard. So he wants to talk to Officer Kelly. And he starts explaining his theory, which is someone's uh, hanging around the Surfrider Club and sees Casey coming out of the ocean all hot and wasted and figures, yeah, this will be fun. And uh, Casey does not agree with that sentiment and one hardly finds sexual assault fun no it's not high on anyone's list and so uh so the guy kills her and that's the sort of thing that one might do when they are stuck waiting outside all the time while their senior officer is inside doing actual work at the surfrider club the point is he thinks it's officer kelly officer kelly responds by saying well i'm not losing my career to a to a girl like her 
To which Magnum responds by decking Officer Kelly, who pulls out a gun on Magnum and... Basically is like, you're going to come with me and we're going to go for a walk and I'm going to shoot you out of the way, I guess. I don't know what he's thinking there. But then, alas, he is rescued by Sergeant Jordan. Yeah, who is super upset at Officer Kelly. Not just angry at Officer Kelly, but hurt. You're my underling and this is how you repay me? By murdering a lady? On shift? You horrible jerk. I mean, I don't think that's the words he uses, but... He probably probably would have used stronger words. I mean, yeah, but I try to keep this podcast PG-13. Yeah. It's nice to see a policeman arrest another policeman for murder, because that doesn't often happen in real life. But this is TV. It's also nice to see the police actually wrap something up for once on Magnum. Mm-hmm. Normally that all happens off uh, off screen. Although this is something really weird. Basically, Jordan is like, all right, Kelly, you're coming with me. You know the words. He reads him his rights and handcuffs him. And then he walks him off to like the side of the beach, even though you can see the police car in the background. And then, yeah, Magnum like walks back up the beach past where the police car is clearly parked. It's the only car in shot. While Sergeant Jordan walks Officer Kelly along the beach away from the car that they both drove there in. And also, I should point out, leaves Officer Kelly's gun in the sand. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Like, I appreciate that you want to get the cool shot, but surely everyone watching at home was like, Where are you going? Is there a different car? Is there... Is the police station... Are you just like, going to take him up there? behind the dunes and beat him up for a bit? I, I don't know, maybe. It's a weird final shot for that scene. And that's that's basically it. The final shot for the episode is uh, Magnum at the surfing competition, sort of watching it and wishing that Casey was there. That blonde kid from the beginning's there. Yeah. Presumably having discovered his manhood. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the whole episode. It's a pretty straightforward episode. Although Graham said he was surprised by the twist. Well, okay. I wasn't surprised, but I didn't... Like, the first instance of Officer Kelly being remotely helpful, you were like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I didn't get that. (laughs) Yeah, but like I said, I think Persona 4 has ruined me to any suspiciously helpful cops. Or any helpful cops. I'm just like, why are you being so helpful? When he started getting, like, annoyed with Magnum, when he was like, it was a two-way street, we're supposed to help each other, why don't you tell me this Nick guy's last name? That's when I was like, he's a little keen. A A little keen for this, isn't he? Hmm. Interesting. But I mean, you know, you you ran down the list pretty quick of who it could possibly be. Magnum's not the kind of show that's going to pull out the CSI twist if it was actually somebody who was completely unrelated to, th- to this the whole time. It would have been the bartender. Well, yeah, but like that's the CSI twist. But then you suddenly see the bartender sneaking out in the middle of the night and it's like never been hinted at or anything. Like that's why I don't like CSI because it's just, oh, what a twist for the sake of there being what a twist. Well, it's only a twist because they don't know enough for they, the evidence has to lead them there, you see. You watch a lot more CSI than I do. Yeah, I know. I liked it. I like this episode. I like this episode, too. I think if I hadn't have played Persona 4, I think I would have liked it even more. Mm-hmm. That's not a knock against the episode. It's just a knock against my personal experience. I give this episode an 8. Nice. That uh, lines up neatly with Magnum Mania. What? We agreed? Well, they gave it a 7.9. All right, that's fair. I'm, I'm also looking forward by name only, to next week's episode, Mad Buck Gibson. It's about time we had a laid, a lighthearted episode. I'm hoping that that will be Mad Buck Gibson. But there's been like some, like four pretty heavy episodes in a row. Yeah. So it's time for Rick and TC to get some hijinks. I hope so. I guess we'll find out in Mad Buck Gibson. Maybe somebody will force Magnum to do some exercise. 
Not that I like these lighthearted episodes. I'm just thinking from like a TV pacing point of view, we're overdue for one. Maybe MGB will force him to do some exercise. MGB? Mad Buck Gibson. Oh, for God's sakes. <laughs> I can't believe you fell for that. This is like me in the beard 20 minutes ago. <laughs> so who is this episode brought to us by, Graham? It was brought to us by you, the listeners. Oh, I thought you were going to say Mad Buck Gibson. Uh, oh, yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's an executive producer of our Patreon. <laughs> no. We don't have a top tier for that. Anyway, you are our Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. It uh, supports not only the Magnum Rewatch podcast, but many other podcasts of ours and video content as well. And uh, we hope that you check that out. So until next time, Zeus, Apollo, help me sort through these boxes of paperwork. It's outro time, outro time. Hey, everybody, it's outro time. Maybe you skipped to this part because it was spoiler time. It's outro time. Hey, kids, just want to do a PSA about spoilers. I feel like maybe that we didn't level the spoiler soon enough. Because if you were watching this episode and then you were listening to the episode and perhaps coming to the same suspicion-based conclusions that I was, maybe I did actually ruin Persona 4 by telling you that there was a spoiler. Maybe? Persona 4 came out eight years ago? Seven years ago. Seven years ago. I mean... What's the statute of limitations on spoilers? It ver- We did a whole podcast about it. It varies depending on like, the Like, I thing. feel like Star Wars... Fuck it. Luke, I am your father. If you don't know that, that's your problem. We were just talking with our friend Ian about uh, someone showing the Star Wars trilogy to their kid for the first time. And their kid saw from like the cover. They're like, oh, there's another Death Star in this one. I wonder if they'll be able to, to beat them. This will be so exciting. Put in the Blu-ray. And the Blu-ray menu is the new Death Star being destroyed. <laughs> Like yeah, but it's animated chi- menu. It's a child. You could lie to them. You'd be like, that's a clip from the first movie. Don't worry about it. Children are very in, like easily influenced. This isn't older. It doesn't matter. Shush. I think that you could lie to children. I guess that's the moral of the story here. Is don't worry about spoilers. Just lie to children. You know who wouldn't lie to children? Mad Buck Gibson. <laughs> you almost, I almost got you. You were very close to just knocking that one in. <laughs> I mean, I could give you... Who would lie to children? Who would not lie to children, Graham? I wouldn't. That's mean. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>